Hello there. Welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with Joel Chen, who is an assistant professor at the University of Maryland. His research and teaching explore systems that support creative knowledge work. Essentially, he is specialized in tools for thought. To give you an idea of his research, he writes the following, quote, My research seeks to understand and create generalizable configurations of people, computing and information that augment human intelligence and creativity. I want to help create a future where any person or community can design the futures they want to live in. And in the pursuit of his research, he has stumbled into Rome and is dedicated to seeing his possibilities. After having done a Rome tour with Rob Hayesfield, a previous guest on the show, he implements a hybrid Zettelkasten Evergreen Notes and Zettel Question system that he will outline in the talk. So... We talked about knowledge synthesis, which is a personal interest of mine. How would you integrate information and knowledge from different fields in order to create something new? Synthesis defined as creating something that is greater than the sum of all its parts. Joel's workflow, how he creates notes that leads to zettles. What is a zettle? The failures of a zettle custom system in his Rome graph and how it had evolved over time to become the system now. Analog media. Joel shares with us one of his Zettel questions or questions that he's been pondering over time. Why is analog media so powerful? It's super interesting question to dive into and honestly a roller coaster ride of a conversation. So let's dive into my chat with Joel Chan, assistant professor at University of Maryland. Time is of the essence here and I know yeah. that you have a lot uh, to say. Might as well just get right into it. Mr. Yeah. Joel Chan, welcome to Rome FM. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Okay. I'm excited to talk about this. I, I am also excited to talk about this. And probably might as well just add in all the bits uh, right beforehand because yeah. we do have quite a number of thoughts surrounding the usages of Rome, not only in a collaborative manner, but yeah. also in your specialty. And yeah. I really want to deep dive into that. But okay. before we get into that, there has to be like this before times, before you stumble into the tool Rome, yeah. how did you discover the tool and what were you doing beforehand that led you to that? Yeah. So, um, so I'm an academic, I do research and most people who do research have some kind of, uh, external note-taking system. Um, it's pretty rare and hard to do serious, um, knowledge work with only using only your first brain. I, I, I think I started out with just Word documents. Wow. Just, yeah. <laughs> just Word documents, just notes. That a bunch sounds of so notes, painful. Though, a right? bunch of Word documents. They were dated. So I, I had my research logs. Uh, it kind of modeled after like the most common pattern in science is a lab notebook, right? So you have basically like a commonplace notebook. Um, it's completely sequential. It's analog. Uh, and that's actually a very powerful pattern anyway. And that's why Rome's daily notes, I think, is is surprisingly powerful. People don't fully grasp how useful it is to have that time component. So that's why I had like you have the date and the in the title and then some some topic. And so there's tons of those. And then there'll be other documents like here's a synthesis of 
my ideas about this this project or I did a lit review. Here's a summary, all in Word documents. So that's phase one. Uh, and it spilled out into, you know, like I would draw on the whiteboard, uh, print out a giant piece of paper and like cut out the graphs and put them on the, the piece of paper, scribble on the graph with whiteboard, uh, with markers, you know, just to spill out from the page. But um, that was the setup before. I forget when, sometime during my PhD, I... Uh, came across Evernote and the reason to do Evernote was just to stop having so much paper. And so I actually did Evernote premium. I'm, I was an Evernote premium subscriber, uh, recently, recently, uh, unsubscribed. <laughs> um, I did a similar thing in Evernote as well. Right. So I would title, um, kind of research logs. I, would, I think I titled the notes research logs. Um, and Evernote actually has some linking, right? Yeah. So you can link to notes, um, I did some of that, but I did get frustrated with the kind of cabinet metaphor. So actually in, in my Evernote, I don't use sub notebooks, right? So it's the same kind of deal as the, the Microsoft word kind of bunch of documents, but kind of dumped into one big, uh, <laughs> uh place. Uh, so I have a cabinet notebook in Evernote, all the notes go in there that are not about action. Right. So anything that's a task is not in cabinet, but everything that's reference material, it goes in cabinet. And I used, I tried to use tags to wrangle it, but it didn't work super well. The caveat is that I still got useful work done. Right. So it's not like I was completely crippled. You only start to feel it break when you start to venture outside of your comfort zone, try to synthesize new ideas from new fields all at the same time or tackle a problem that you're not super well versed in, right? So actually, if you notice, if you track the trajectory of lots of academics, it's towards less structure and less externalization over time. Hmm. So full professors typically have their second brains in their students and collaborators. They rarely write lots of stuff down. They, uh, most of it's in their head already, like it's internalized. And also they have access to basically a bunch of different external memories. They go walk up to their collaborator's office and they talk to them and then they get what they need and they don't need to write everything down, right? Uh, that's interesting. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is as if you stay within your specialty, by the time you get to full professor stage, which is like, let's say you five years to 10 year, five years for PhD, 10, uh, maybe five to 10 years to a full professor. So 20 years, like doing something for 20 years is well past the quote unquote 10 year rule, which is false, but there's a reasonable heuristic for getting, becoming an expert. By that point, you're well-practiced and anytime you encounter a problem within your domain, you don't need to learn that much, right? So you've okay. you noticed yeah. there's a pattern. Yeah. So for me, I, my research is more interdisciplinary, so I'm constantly outside of my comfort zone. So I began to feel more and more pain uh, as I ventured out from my PhD, as opposed to less pain. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. So um, actually, so then the first time I encountered Rome was at the end of 2019, I think. And I didn't think very much of it, to be honest. Oh. Like I was like, oh, it's seems like a, I've, I've used workflow. Workflow is great. There's this nice collapsing thing. I didn't really understand. I didn't notice the backlink feature. Um, <clears throat> the, the person who got me into Rome, I would credit two people. One is um, Beck Tench. She's not, I don't know if she's super 
she's invested in a different tool, uh, Tinderbox. Uh, but she introduced me to the idea of Zettelkasten. And she implements her Zettelkasten in the software Tinderbox, which is Mac only. I have Windows. That's why I don't use it. Ah, okay. That Tinderbox tool is actually quite mature. It's been around for quite a while. Um, has a very small but active user base. And uh, Beck um, did a bunch of YouTube tutorials on that. So Zettelkasten gave me the idea of linking. Um, and also, I was prepared because this is my area of research, trying to understand how people develop new ideas, how do they, how can we build tools to support creative work? Um, and I was, I'm still focused on researchers as a use case of kinds of people who are doing creative work because research is creative. You're trying to do something that nobody has ever done before. You're trying to expand knowledge. And so how do we build tools to support that? So that, that's the background. I was constantly searching for examples of tools that do this kind of thing. Then with that backdrop, I came across Stian Hakler's video showing how he reproduced his research PhD note-taking workflow in Rome. Ah, okay. And that was like, ha, huh, okay. Here's somebody using this for something that's similar to what I'm thinking about. And I'm starting to see this like linking stuff going on. Um, I still didn't use it right away. Okay. And then in early January, I decided to give it a run. I don't remember why. But once I started, it was, um, the rest is history. And the first evolution I think was understanding, uh, just the page referencing backlink stuff, uh, as being a useful way to just not worry so much about, uh, putting stuff into folders, which I already didn't want to do, right. The way I use Evernote, I put everything into a cabinet, but I couldn't wrangle the mess. Right. So I had to pick my poison. Either I can't find stuff because it's locked away in a folder. Or I can't find stuff because I can't resurface it. Because Evernote search is great, but it's not, you know, it's not a silver bullet, right? <laughs> you can't yeah, yeah, search yeah, your way through, not, through the no. chaos. Um, so, yeah, so in Rome, page, pages were the first thing that was interesting. I can sort of explore the graph that way. And then things really started to click once I figured out the mapping between daily notes and the pattern of time stream, right? Always write stuff in daily notes and then move stuff into further development. That's the main pattern. It's always the time stream. Things are always happening. You're always scratching. I have a, a tag in my daily notes called fleeting notes where I nest under that any ideas that I just came to mind. So daily notes is the, is the magic junkyard, right? Everything chaos. There's like not much, much structure there, but um, it's super useful to have that to dip in and out, right? So daily notes is the constant stream of idea development. And then you branch off into say Zettles or a literature page or a project page um, and then dump back in. So think about like the underlying chaos stream yeah, and then yeah. you dip up into um, sort of more focused gardening, more focused development of ideas. And that's how I've started to really use Rome and that's when it really started to click because actually the first first version of my Zettelkasten didn't work because I was mm. trying to do like this super structured thing like um, branching off trying to follow exactly the numbering system yeah and it just was too much friction and felt like I wasn't ready for it yet um, so it really things started, started clicking when I um, used this pattern of chaos stream development stream and even the second version of my Zettelkasten also was okay for 
solidifying what I already knew, right? So my my evergreen notes with the nice like declarative titles like effective synthesis is hard or um, you know scholarly communication operates on documents as the base unit, those kinds of declarative sentences as titles. That's great when I thought about something a lot already and I can crystallize it into a evergreen note, but that's not a good fit for the early stages of trying to learn something. Yeah. Um, so I kind of bottomed out in terms of what settles I could write um, pretty quickly. The next phase of that was um, there's a guy on Twitter in the Rome community, but he tries to main, maintain some pseudonymity because of his profession. So on Twitter, he's um, Victor Hugo's imagination. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if he's, he's come on the podcast yet, uh, but he's uh, also he, like- he, he is not, but I have contacted him. Yeah. So, so he's prominent, yeah. uh, very prominent member of the community. Yes. Um, but he introduced this idea of Zettel questions, right? Like just mm. questions, like a note that's not a statement, but a question. And the art of writing good questions is critical to yes, creative work. Is. And so that, that transformed it to version three, which is what it is now, which is, I think, working quite well. So in the early stages, you have lots of Zettel questions, like um, do synthesis infrastructures already exist? Or what is the best way to, to model ahead of time, whether having diverse ideas will actually help you? So these are kind of focusing questions for research projects. And then I'll start to dump things refer to it in daily notes, right? So daily notes is still chaos. And then I can freely mix between these different questions that I'm thinking about and I'll reference it, reference it, reference it to the time stream. And then once things start to develop, I start to realize I'm repeating myself for one idea. Then it starts to make sense to crystallize that into a, uh, a Zettel, right? So one example of this is um, there's a stray observation that, um, someone mentioned to me, Ben Reinhardt, uh, Andy Matushak has this idea that the best, most transformative insights only come from a single mind. So it's a very provocative, uh, you know, mm. like it goes against this idea of collaboration. Yeah. I think it's very subtle, right? So I transform it to be, if you're going to get into a collaboration with people and for it to be productive, you have to act as a single mind, right? You have to be some okay. of the merging of the minds. That, anyway, that I can agree with more. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So yeah. I, I don't know if that's what they mean, but that's, that's how I understand um, what it means because there's this idea of distributed cognition, right? Yeah. So that, that, that phrase kind of got reference, block reference for a while in the time stream. And then eventually got to a point where like, okay, there's something really interesting here. I keep referencing it and I can develop this idea more and it can start to pull together the connections to distributed cognition, um, nice examples of the idea. So that I turned it into a Zettel with that, evergreen note kind of quality that happened after like a few months, maybe half a year of it just showing up in the time stream, in the chaos stream. So and months. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it just takes, it takes a, it takes a while. Um, sometimes it takes that long, probably longer sometimes for it to really crystallize. So anyway, um, that's where I am now. Um, so the, as you can think about like the, the Microsoft word days, um, and then the Evernote days, and then the Rome days. I think I branched off into other topics too. Oh, but no, no, yeah. no. Uh, th yeah. This is like, this is really what I wanted to hear because yeah. when I saw your tour uh, with mm -hmm. Rob Hayesfield, yeah, there are similarities with your system and mine. So when I started looking at it, yeah. I was like, wow, I understood some of this. Especially when you mentioned the, the, the Zettel questions, I call them prompts. 
Actually, yeah. I, I, yeah. I use a different, I use different yeah. metaphor. I don't use gardens. I actually call it like a yeah. mine. Um, I call it gunpowder. So gunpowder <laughs> nice. is what you yeah. use to like to yeah. spark something. The right. Spark, so, yeah. 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 So if it's a prompt that will trigger you to yeah. uh, either go into a rabbit hole towards a specific yeah. field or a specific idea or yeah. flesh out a concept. Uh, I actually want to ask if you have a Zettle question out there, must it point towards a specific project or do you have it just as, oh, no. this is just one idea that I've been thinking about. Let it repeat, let it grow over time. Yeah. And only under the natural continuous stream of time will it surface up that you will think to yourself, oh, it's coming up so many times that I feel that it's now relevant enough. I yeah. must flush that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the answer is both, right? The sure. answer to the first, the first answer is that yes, it's often related to questions, uh, projects, because that's the nature of my work. Right. Um, every research project has to be aimed at some interesting question, but um, that also sparks other questions or some other questions are just in the back of my mind. One question that really interests me right now is why is analog media so powerful? Right. So if you actually, so there's this idea of productivity porn, of ah. like, you know, the, the knowledge yeah. management community, I, I, I put myself in that. Uh, in that boat as well of like loving to tinker with the system and trying to like set it up just right and feeling out all these hacks. I have a tendency to do that, right? And you end up spending more time trying to set up your system than actually doing good work. Andy has been a good voice in the community trying to say, it's not note-taking that matters. It's effective thinking, right? A lot of really effective thinkers, like people who are famous for having produced good work, they're not going to be the people that use the latest software or the most fancy workflows, often they just use a notebook. Ah, uh, okay. So that right? triggered the question. Yeah. Why? So there's something okay. very powerful about, okay, so you can say like, oh, you know, like they're lazy, but I don't think that's the case, right? So if you, if you look very closely at how they use the analog media, I think you discover a lot of very powerful ideas that are actually so again like the original Zettelkasten was pen and paper right yes. it was like these um, index cards but the way he used it was super powerful I'm reading this book on Darwin Charles Darwin and his notebooks right um, he had like thousands and thousands of pages of notebooks he used the commonplace book idea um, just lots and lots of notebooks and people are still studying it today what's the, um, what's the but, book name by the way do you know uh, the book name is um, I'll send it to you it's um, okay Darwin on Man. It's, Darwin it's, on it's man. a psychologist. This is 1974. And it's part of like psychology creativity, but also there's a whole field of study of Darwin <laughs> trying to understand oh, okay. Darwin's notes, trying to uncover the secrets of what happened because uh, it's a subfield of history. So anyway, um, Darwin, one interesting fact is that very few of his notes are intact. So he cuts out pages from his oh. notebook. Oh, he and, cut it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he cuts off little pieces and rearranges them. And so that's why part of why studying Darwin's notes books is so hard because none of them are fully intact. I think the number, um, I can pull it up from my settle right now, actually. Um, this, is, this might be worth um, turning into a SRS card because the details matter. There's significant excision of notes in Darwin's notebooks. 40% of the pages are excised. 
Okay. <laughs> wow. Forty uh, percent. Okay. So um, you can see, like, they don't use it. The way they use analog media is different. Also, they mix a lot of media in there, right? So they're not using just text. You see development of sketches over time, but interspersed with reflections and notes from sources and observations. So this like place for multiple media and multiple styles of thinking to mix is also something that I think Rome finds a bit challenging, right? So yes. you, it's hard to sketch and uh, yeah. work with nonverbal media in Rome. And it has enough that it or overcomes some of that limitation, but that is a limitation that paper does not have. Because yeah. you can do as, as structured as you want, as little structure, as little verbal as you want. Right. So the question, why is analog media so powerful? It's very powerful. And that emerged while I was thinking about a bunch of different stuff, right? That actually branched off from this idea of that I just talked about, like most transformative insights come from a single mind. Thinking about then distributed cognition, about how different minds are able to meld together, what are the mechanisms by which they can, you know, think the same thoughts. And then thinking about how every individual person sets up their environment as a distributed cognition system if it's effective, right? They don't have to think as much. Um, the environment does some of the thinking for them. And then that means to think about, okay, now I can try to understand why, why is it that, you know, lots of people don't use the latest fancy tools and workflows. They look very simple, but they produce excellent work. And it's not in spite of their um, humble media, it's because of how they use it. There's something powerful about how they do it. So, yeah. So these these questions emerge over time. Yeah. yeah. This uh this is this is quite the grand question, and even just thinking about <laughs> it feels very heavy. Yeah. In, in terms of the the possibilities of what the answer could be, because yeah. it feels like they have already built some kind of what's the word for it way of thinking or perspective yeah. on notes or definitions. Yeah. in their own, I, I call it internal environment because yeah. uh, in order to go from either this this zettle to this zettle or this field to this field, yeah. uh, which is probably going to be the question, the next question I was going to ask, which is about synthesis, but um, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of context switching involved and that's extremely yeah. important, right? Even, yeah. even in the realm of paper, which is the most structurally irrelevant, no, not, not irrelevant, but like, where structure doesn't really play that much it's of a flexible. part. Yeah. Yeah, it's flexible. Yes, the most flexible, flexible, right? The most yeah. organic medium ever because you can put yes. anything on paper and it will work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you still have to do some level of context switching because when you yeah. have written work and then you have sketches, you have diagrams, maybe you have video, yeah. maybe you have conversations with other people. Like if yeah. I transcribe our conversation right now and then yeah. that becomes a zettle under your Rome graph, how will you create value or how will you implement yeah. effective thinking on that. Like, so the possibilities there are so great. Like it is the, it has the greatest value from the medium of paper. And if Rome is trying to emulate that, then basically we're saying here that Rome's biggest competitor is freaking paper. Like notebooks. I, I think, right? I actually yeah. think that's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's another quote that I credit to, I forget who, uh, David Chapman, I think on Twitter. Um, so Richard Feynman did this interview, right? And the interviewer was like, oh, look at your notebook. This is wonderful. Look at this record of your thinking. And Richard's like, no, I did the work on the paper. You have to think on the paper. Okay. Like, yeah. this, is like yeah. this is not a record of my thinking. Yeah. This is actually my thinking on yeah. paper. Uh, so like the point I want to make there also is like analog media is very powerful, right? Like lots of really effective thinkers use analog media, but 
I don't really know of basically any examples of people doing kind of constant creative work that don't have in some kind of elaborate system that they've developed, whether it's in analog or whatever, right? They have some practice. When I say system, I mean practice, culture, tools, you know, habits, not just yeah. like the the system, the the computer system itself. Mm. Right. So um again, like example, like Darwin literally had thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of I think it was nine by eleven inches notebooks. Okay, that's 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 it's a lot, lot, right? So yeah, that's a lot. lot. Uh, and lots of people that again, this practice of having a lab notebook. It's a, there's a reason that it's a tradition in mm. science, right? So just to make that point, like um, yes, it doesn't seem fancy in from a tech busy standpoint, but it is very sophisticated from a practice standpoint. But but the thing is, we it, it's fascinating to deep dive into this mainly because yeah, they didn't have Rome at the time, obviously, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but but. But they're trying to achieve what Rome is providing for us in the most accessible way possible. Yeah. Because yeah. only within the realm or only within that environment where I have these 10,000 books on 10,000 yeah. pages, I will cut out my notes to mm-hmm. stick them. Like yeah. To me, it yeah. sounds like one-off yeah. references or one-off embeds. It sounds like that, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to create like whatever project or just to finish up a, yeah. a, a thing. Yeah. They can achieve that moment of clarity where mm-hmm. they can push through with whatever knowledge work that they have to do. So yeah. in the end, like what Rome is trying to do, we have already solved ages ago, but Rome yeah. is right now, at least to, at least from what I've seen, the most yeah. efficient digital solution. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I, being I think that's so. right. Why I think Rome is interesting as well is, so there's a point about, yes, the paper is powerful because it's so moldable. Yes. Right. Yes. But that's also its weakness, right? So it's very easy to use analog media in a terrible way. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Like I if you highly never, agree with that. Right? Yeah. If you never excise and you only write in text, for example, mm. and you never date your notebooks, right? There's these little practices, then you won't really get a lot of benefits. Rome is opinionated, right? So there's, there's place for tools that embody the features of a the whole system, how to use it, right? So Rome forces you to do this daily notes thing. You have to fight against it to not yeah. write something okay. every day, right? Okay, I see what you mean. Um, yeah. The backlinks are there as like a key feature. So it pushes you towards that kind of thinking, hmm. right? So the media can be opinionated in some ways. So paper is powerful because it's completely multiple, but it's also its weakness, right? So that's hmm. why I'm excited about Rome is like more people can adopt this uh, way of thinking that many people implement in analog media after a lot of um, sort of reflection and not necessarily learning from other people, developing what works for them. And they kind of converge to this um, way of uh, dealing with their notes that Rome embodies in its design just by it kind of pushes the average user towards that. I think that's very powerful. I would love to live in a world where basically everybody thinks, uh, does that kind of pattern of knowledge management. I think that's very powerful. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that accessibility yeah. in achieving that moment. And we, we have many names, like it's been mentioned on the show, like or even yeah. just conversations on Twitter, like, oh, it's that aha moment. Like, oh, I can create something interesting or all of yeah. a sudden this re- reference leads to X, A, B, C, which is interesting. It's pretty, pretty great. But yeah. if you think about it empirically, we can achieve that. It's just that Rome has allowed people to, one, get access to that moment more, like frequency, 
wise yeah. and two the quality of it just because yeah. of all these extra features like the link referencing and yeah. like the block relationships because that's a yeah. whole other story altogether and yeah. that does yeah. come down to uh, something that i've always wanted to talk to you about which is yeah. your work on synthesis so okay the word synthesis is a huge word for me like yeah. because i came to the conclusion of knowledge synthesis last year yeah. I'm not even an academic, but knowledge yeah. synthesis last year was a huge phrase or a term for me, mainly yeah. because of me reading up academic articles on polymathic thinking or polymathic okay, studies. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I, I've reached out to like researchers in polymathic studies to hear what their take is uh, yeah. and the way that they would do conversations and interviews with people yeah. who can integrate knowledge yeah. from field to field and more. Yeah. So, I don't want to take too much of your time, but yeah. I at least want to ask you, maybe from uh, Rome's perspective, yeah, seeing how the tool is growing or seeing how people are converging or seeing how the level of accessibility or the onboarding of more and more people to naturally become knowledge workers of yeah. their own you know, information and whatever they pay attention yeah. to. What, what do you think is the trajectory for people to become either more polymathic or engage in greater knowledge synthesis yeah. with Rome by their side. I would love to see maybe like what you're afraid of seeing or mm. maybe are mm. there improvements on Rome right now that you think would really help with the with that end goal in mind with just yeah. greater knowledge synthesis? Because I am super excited for that to happen as well with everyone. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, synthesis, the idea, the word itself just means creating something bigger than the sum of its parts, right? You're synthesizing something new. Synthesis, I think, is an underappreciated engine of knowledge yes. work. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, like, people talk about brainstorming, right? People talk about execution. Um, you know, people talk about sharing data. Synthesis, like, so one very powerful example of a synthesis is a theory, Right. I have a theory, I have a model now of how all these parts fit together. So for example, right now with the pandemic, we need a synthesis of the mechanisms of transmission and how it interacts with society to have a coherent strategy, right? Because there's no way you can just optimize on one path, which is like, how do we stop people from emitting droplets? Uh, that's only a small part of the story, right? How do we change people's behavior? Like you have to put it all together, right? So synthesis is about putting everything together. And often you have to put things together from multiple fields, right? So again, with the pandemic, you need to know about aerosol science. You need to know about virology. You need to know yeah. about epidemiology, all these different things, right? <laughs> uh, sociology, it turns out matters a lot, right? So recently there's this thing about um, colleges, like uh, being upset with students for socializing. And they don't understand from a sociological standpoint, institutions have a manifest function and a latent function. The manifest function is what people think uh, institutions about. So universities are about learning, but the latent function is what they provide to society that everybody doesn't really talk about, but it's super important. Latent function of colleges right now is to help uh, young adults socialize into adulthood. Ah, and, okay. All right. right? Okay. So taking, taking that away again, so you need some sociology too, right? So you need all yeah. these things together. So going back again to word land and cabinet land, uh, Evernote land, right? This metaphor of files and cabinets lends itself to siloing, right? You have to categorize things. You have to put something into a box. 
you start to see how like I'm using language that people start to get nervous about, right? Putting yeah. something in a box makes you feel nervous, right? And yeah. it should, right? If you're, you need the ideas to be alive, to be able to mix freely, to, to come together, right? So um, a space like, like Rome where it's natural to link things and resurface ideas and compose. So I'm developing, I've developed this kind of three-part way of thinking about what is required for synthesis. You need to have compression. The ideas need to be atomic and represented in some atomic granular way so that they can intermix and have more surface area to interact. There needs to be context because if you encounter an idea that's excised from its context entirely, then you're not going to be able to make sense of it and you're not going to be able to use it very well. This is a hard one lesson from my field of CSCW computer supported cooperative work. People try to build these knowledge repositories and decontextualize knowledge and just have these like raw statements of fact. Uh, and, okay. yeah. and it turns out that it's not very useful. You need yeah. to know like, who wrote this, uh, in what context was it useful, um, you know, what is limitations, all that kind of stuff. So context is super important. And then some way to compose, composability. So Rome hits all three of these really well, right? So it, it forces you to go, not just the difference between say a markdown based thing like Obsidian and Rome is the block structure, right? You have an extra level of compression. You can reference things at the block level and re remix and recombine at the block level in addition to the page level. Context also comes from transclusion with the block referencing and embedding, right? So you can push something into a new context, but you never lose the link to the original context. That's super important. Composability with block referencing, you can combine things into bigger ideas, right? So these, these three affordances, I haven't really seen all at once in any single tool yet. Um, you get a little bit of it with Tinderbox. Um, so these niche tools, right? Niche tools have it. Tinderbox, some people you repurpose like uh, a qualitative research software uh, like Envivo or Atlas TI that was built for qualitative research analysis. Turns out that has all those features as well. So there are lots of academics that uh, do their literature review stuff in this software. There's entire tutorials and workshops for how to use qualitative research <laughs> software to do lit reviews because they find that they can't do it in Word, right? I think that Rome has so many of these ingredients, right? And it's very natural to implement Zettelkasten in Rome. There's, um, it's opinionated, but it, the, its opinions align with what my understanding is of the best practices for how to do synthesis, how to build a system that supports your synthesis process over time. You need to be able to compress things. You need to be able to contextualize them. You need to be able to compose them. There's a new one that I'm thinking about, which is this multiplicity, um, this mixing of different media, not hmm, just okay. different media, but also different styles. So I've been talking to another member of the community, Sue Borchardt, uh, she's a research artist. We're thinking about this like dialectics, hard versus soft styles of thinking, big picture versus details, visual versus verbal. Being able to bounce back and forth between those is a key strength of analog media. In Rome right now, that's a limitation. Mm. It's very text heavy, which is yeah. fine for a lot of things, but you run into trouble being able to make sketches in, but also going into more structured things like tables. And uh, say, uh, I want to come up with a really sophisticated meta-analysis or, or a graph, a causal graph, it's hard to bounce back and forth between those. I know that they're not really focusing on that right now because um, it's very hard and they want to sort of, but that's where I think the ceiling is. 
um, as they start to mix media more and be, make it easier to dialectic between styles of thinking, kind of media, and also um, between more and less structure, quantitative versus qualitative, um, that's where the ceiling really starts to blow off and you start to overtake paper. Because in paper, you have a limitation. You cannot say, for example, reference audio, but you can yeah. in a digital space, right? Um, you can't put screenshots in and manipulate them. So I think Rome has a higher ceiling than, than paper right now in yeah. terms of that, that particular dimension of, and again, like you said, like you do ex excision, you cut and paste. That's one level, right? It's a yeah. one-time thing you can do, yeah. right? Uh, so Rome and digital tools are able to do many, many kinds of writes. Um, so I think the ceiling is higher in all dimensions. It's just that a well-practiced person using analog media is going to outperform somebody who's still learning from the first time, right? Um, yeah, so. and that comes from the foundation of like, these strong set of like hardened principles of writing these things, because if this person would just switch mediums or try a new tool, yeah, their system is going to work. They're going to have a huge head start in front of yeah, anyone exactly. if they're going to do similar work. So, yeah. uh, and paper being where it is right now, like just with how versatile it is in terms of yeah. knowledge work, in terms of trying to create something new, in terms of trying to synthesize something, uh, makes it, uh, a huge competitor i never really thought yeah. about it until now yeah. like yeah. I, I i do i still do like pen and paper a lot because context switching wise i do certain types of thinking in pen and paper and sometimes it just doesn't work i have to copy it over yeah, yeah. yeah. um and on the multiplicity i i do agree and the way that i would visualize that would be if you would try to define a note on mm -hmm. a graph of like a 2d graph like two dimensions the multiplicity would include a third dimension a z axis where mm -hmm it would shift between nonverbal to verbal. And I think that would be one way to think about it, uh, mainly because like from a background in trying to study like communication channels, where yeah, yeah. the amount of messages yeah. being lost over time, depending on the medium, that if you can translate that into multiplicity, how to articulate that really well, I think you have like a really strong, I guess, Zettel question or Zettel right there uh, for you to ponder on. And uh, we are coming up on time, so I might as well uh, get straight to the very last question I would love to end this conversation on, and maybe we'll continue okay. another time later on. Yeah. But for now, Joel, what does Rome mean to you? What does Rome mean to me? That's a really good question. For me, I'm most excited about Rome as a next phase of this long tradition, starting with Doug Engelbart, of realizing the promise of hypermedia and these obscure ideas that are pretty common in the academic world in terms of thinking about synthesis, thinking about uh, what a note is, thinking about creativity, thinking about backlinks and hyperlinks and hypermedia. And we've been hampered so far in my world by not being able to see the thing work because oh, we have okay. to build these little prototypes and nobody can use them. So we only get to observe it being done for say a few months with some lab participants. What Rome presents to me is an opportunity to observe what will it be like if more people use it for real things and we can start to see and observe, okay, we can now go further than our um, sort of abstract thinking uh, over the last few decades thinking about these ideas that are not new, right? So again, like uh, Connor is very upfront about the ideas in Rome are not new. It's, it's kind of back from th those roots, but now we have opportunity to s actually push it forward. 
with okay. use. So action produces information is the name of a, a blog post. Uh, yeah. And I think that's very powerful. Like uh, Again, with, within my own area, if I can't see it being used, I can't learn about it. And so that's why I'm so excited about Rome is more people are going to be using it for real things. And I start to be able to understand, okay, how can we push it further than those kind of abstract concepts that we've been playing with? So that's for me, like selfishly as a, it helps me as a researcher with my own work, but also mm-hmm. I think it's uh, to me presents a, you know, a new era in terms of studying and building um, tools for thought because it's, it actually makes it accessible and you can start to see it in use and then push it forward. Fantastic. I love that. I'm also super excited for that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, to see Connor trailblazing these ideas and packaging them in a way where, you know, people can actually start using it, like actual use cases, actual yeah. examples that yeah. you can read about, you can observe, you can make notes out of, you can turn exactly. that into settles, you can yeah. synthesize the yeah case studies that you've read because people are starting to use Rome or yeah. at least applying these ideas that you've read ages ago. So yeah. I am also pretty excited for that. Yeah, Joel, thank you. If we want to reach out to you to contact you in any way, shape or form from this conversation, yeah. what is the best way to do that? The best way for me to respond to personal communication is my email. And that's from my website. Um, my website is pretty easy, joelchan.me. Um, you can link to it in the show notes as well. And there, yeah. my contact information is there. Um, some people do reach out to me. My DMs are open on Twitter. Um, but Twitter has terrible programmable attention. You can't mark things <laughs> that are unread. So if I can't like reply to it right away, um, yeah. Yeah. I have to sort of make a note too. So you can reach out to me on Twitter as well. I'm pretty active on there. Uh, but email is the best way to make sure that I will respond to you. Of course, and all of these will be in the show notes as well as the public Rome FM graph. So not want to take too much of your time. Joel, thank you so much and I will see you soon. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.